Well, hello and welcome to Inexos Access All Areas. My name is B, and I will be co-hosting this series of podcasts with my Inexos nerd, Hayden Murdoch. We will be delving deep with you all to explore everything there is to know about this iconic band of brothers in excess, sharing music, tours, videos, albums, and oh, so much more. Hi everybody, welcome to In Excess Access All Areas, episode 14 of the deep dive into all things In Excess, their career, their legacy, educating Uber, passive, or just generally passionate fans like ourselves. B, how are you? How was your In Excess week? Hello, um, how you doing? Um, my In Excess week, well, I came out of hiding from um, <laughs> from last week when uh, I, <laughs> I didn't like melting in the sun. I'm so sorry. I felt really terrible, but do you know what? Pedro supported me on that, so he's a man with taste too. He well, I felt like sending you to Guantanamo Bay <laughs> and belting out melting in the sun 24 hours a day. No, please never do that to me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, for those joining us, we did review the Swing album last week, which uh, was a lot of fun and you know created a lot of sort of uh, talk back and people's individual ex- uh, individual experiences of the album. Um, I guess the engagement was probably at a, uh, I won't say a record high, but pretty pretty full on, wasn't it, B? Yeah, it was pretty full on. It was pretty full on at all. Well, the thing is, you've always told me to get off the fence, and I got off the fence, so I'm 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 feeling pretty good now going forward. Although I yeah. don't think there's any. There's not going to be any um, bad records in the next um, couple of albums, I'm sure. Well, look, we uh, I guess on a positive note, we did have four songs added to the uh, Spotify mm-hmm. playlist, um, and we're we're going to in a couple of weeks' time send out maybe part one. It's almost like the uh, Spotify greatest non-hits part one, mm. 1980 to 85. <laughs> so that'll mm-hmm. be interesting. Um, just I guess on my behalf, a quick little apology for last week. Last week, I think my audio wasn't as great. Um, I have newfound respect for uh, every producer in the world who's aiming to get good sounds in recordings in any guise. Um, listeners may not appreciate, but uh, it can sometimes be dependent upon, you know, Wi-Fi and things in your area and, and um, weather and a few different things sometimes that do contrive mm. to either make it a great sound or sometimes a little bit of a poor sound. So if I was a little bit cutting in and out last week in parts, I do apologise. Um, we hope this is coming in in... Dolby surround sound, <laughs> THX, the audience is listening, ching ching, quadraphonic. Well, I think um, there's going to be a few new listeners because we've got a very <laughs> exciting show ahead of we us do, today. We do, we um, we did have a couple of people who guessed the cover version last week. It was a bit obscure because uh, uh, it was actually a very heavily female orientated live version of Original Sin, but it was Noel Rogers' band. Uh, it wasn't so much the chick formation, but it was his sort of touring band, and he often will play songs that he had a hand in producing. And uh, the irony of the cover last week was that he was playing a cover song of In Excess's Original Sin, yeah. uh, and he was the original producer of the song. Yeah. Uh, so we thought that was a nice twist uh, on that particular aspect B yeah and he looked like he's having so much fun with that song didn't he what a great guitarist again it was a bit grainy when we put it I think onto Mm. the recording it was a bit hard because it was live off YouTube and things like that so if you want to have a slightly clearer sound go check it out because there's a few versions of it out there but uh, Mm. he was definitely getting into it and uh, um, 
yeah, it was a big year, 1984, for Nile because he, he produced In Excesses and Original Sin that did very well in most places around the world, bar America, um, and uh, Like a Virgin that year, and I think he did stuff for Duran Duran that was big, and yeah, massive, massive uh, year for Nile Rogers, 1984. From a chic, not chick. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, we call it chick, you know, <laughs> no, probably like a chico chic. roll or chick, you know, it's being chic. a bit Australian. No, chic. <laughs> chic. Chic, le chic. That was le freak. That was their hit, le freak. Yeah, le chic. Yeah, <laughs> anyway. But, uh, yeah, we had it, it was good just to, I guess, have uh, that episode of The Swing there. And, um, you know, it seems like an album that resonates with a lot of people. And I think, interesting, a lot of the feedback were people who did buy it after Kick, mm. uh, I guess. Uh, B, did you notice that on the fan yeah, engagement? Yeah, I did, I did. Yes, a lot of people bought it after Kick. When did you buy it? You bought it when it first came out, hey? Well, look, it's one of those things. I, I heard all the songs on the radio. They played them all on the radio, and I was 13 or 14, so I wasn't like going down and buying things. But my best mate had the album at his house, so I would always go over and listen to it there, or it was on the radio everywhere. And mm. look, I eventually bought it and owned it. I had it on vinyl, uh, then I had it on a tape, and then I had it on CD and, yeah. uh, and stuff like that. But again what sort of you know resonated with me back then it was you know right at that sweet spot you know of teenagehood mm. um they'd make made that massive leap um, they were sort of different to some australian bands um the girls swooned over michael the boys wanted to be michael they were cool they mm. had a big sound and you know they had you know four or five you know, hits in Australia with that album, you know, when one goes number one, next one goes number two, three, and then I think 36 with Dancing on the Jetty. Yeah. It was a really strong release. And then also the album tracks that just got a lot of uh, radio play that a bit like Kick, you know, for the Americans, it's interesting when I hear, I heard a podcast, I, I think I mentioned last week about Kick, they go, oh, you had seven hits off the album. Well, it actually had four hits plus the fifth of Mystify in the mm. UK. But Guns in the Sky and Kick, etc., there were like those two extra ones that people heard all the time. And people, they were like radio hits. They weren't necessarily released as singles. But, you know, you look at, in Australia, The Swing had eight major songs on it. They got regular radio time. Yeah. Just like sort of Kick had seven or eight worldwide that had major radio time. Yeah. It's a lot, isn't it, off one song, off one album? Yeah. Yeah. You know, again, as I said, you know, I was regretting, regretful that it didn't quite take off in America like it probably deserved to. But um, I think as as evidence, it, it did literally shift over a million copies after Kick uh, became, okay. uh, I guess, a hit album. Mm. Uh, and that's evidenced by um, the record charts in America. When, it, uh, when you do get a platinum album in America, it's for certification or certification, I guess, of a million units. And that actually happened around, I think, 88, 89. So it was released in 84, so you could just do the math and go, wow, it's it's shifted a whole lot of units. I think it went gold and platinum after about 88, 89, whereas in 84, 85, it didn't sell much at all. It sold a bit, but the majority, 80% of it was after kick, um, which which is great in a way. You know, uh, fans go back and do a deep dive, you know. Mm -hmm. So the guys, they were a little bit disappointed that they only came away with $5,000 each after the Wembley gig. But realistically, <laughs> in the bigger picture, their album releases, not releases, but their album sales would have really took off after that. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the one thing, uh, you know, 
about charts and things like that, you can sort of track and sort of see royalties, how, how they develop along. Mm. I mean, in excess, as I said a few few episodes ago, I think I've sold 30 million albums since 91. Uh, and there's a there's a recording metric in, in America called SoundScan. Um, and uh, it's generally the metric that took over in about nine... Uh, uh, is it SoundScan or SalesScan? It's one of those things. But in 91, it took over from the prime metrics of how to, re- how to measure album sales. Yeah. What it ultimately meant was that it's ver- I think it's digitally um, verifiable from 91 onwards how many units were shifted, whereas prior to that, a lot of it was what how many units were shifted out to the record stores. You know, when you shifted them out to the stores, it was based on demand and, 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 and supply. So if I'm Tower Records in LA and I'm wanting to get more units of an album in, I order more in, you know, yeah. and that was the way they measured it. So if they sold out, they ordered more, you know, and certain albums sold, you know, quickly for artists so that those record stores would order them in. So the record company kept a record of what they sent out to record stores as a way of measuring the chart success. Whereas 91 onwards, it got back to sort of more digital stuff, I guess, with barcoding and mm. much more modern techniques of measuring. So mm. um, in an in Excess's case, pre-91, they were registered as 25 million units sold and post-91, uh, another 30. So I think they're sitting around 55 million now, yeah. uh, approximately. So... Um, yeah, a little bit of stats for the nerds out there like me uh, and those who are keen to know. <laughs> and one that's becoming a nerd. <laughs> correct, correct. <laughs> All right, time for news of the week. Okay. And now it's time for the excess news with Hayden from around the world. All right, well, newsflash for the week. Uh, we always start with our charts, and uh, excitingly, we're only one week away, B, from uh, the NXS Greatest Hits album in Australia, uh, hitting 300 weeks. We're wow. seeing it 299 weeks. Yes. It has had a little bit of a tumble, not a big one. It's gone from 36 to 41. Mm-hmm. Um, so it needs just to hold on for one more week in the top 50 to Please. hit 300 weeks. Yes. So everyone out there who knows somebody who has a heart and a wallet, tell them to go buy it up load it um, get a copy or whatever it is download get it cranking let's make sure this hits 300 weeks what do you reckon yeah buy it for all your grandchildren ready for Christmas that's what I say (laughs) and and even their grandchildren will need a copy yes they will this has to be a hand me down it has to be a hand me down (laughs) correct Um, in the USA need you tonight part 2 as I call it uh, has fallen slightly it's gone from 17 to 19 so still still sitting in that top 20 after about 15 weeks so uh, some nice little royalties uh, for the band there, mm. which is uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, but it's a big week of birthdays. Uh, but are you aware that Welcome to Wherever You Are turned 28 the other day? Oh, really? I think it was August the 4th or something like that. So um, still remember listening to that album for the first time. A mate of mine had, I don't know, bootlegged some copy from somewhere and was sitting in our university dorms and listening to the whole thing and... I was like, gee, that not enough time song. That's got some some mm. kick to it. Pardon the pun. Mm. Um, so yeah, twenty eight years uh, since that album came out, and it, f- it feels like the quickest twenty eight years of my entire life. Yeah. Um, also, too, a very famous drummer in excess just turned fifty nine. The baby of the band, okay, the youngest is fifty nine. Seems, seems incongruous, doesn't it? That he's he's actually fifty nine. What do you think? Happy birthday, John. Happy birthday, John. You're still looking mighty fine. <laughs> He's a very handsome yep. man. He's a very, yes, yes, the baby. He'll always be the baby, won't he? 
as, it, as, as guys in Australia would say when they're trying to be not too effeminate, they might go, yeah, pretty good looking rooster, that bloke, John. Rooster. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so happy birthday, John. Uh, probably enjoying life up in Byron Bay. And um, uh, we very much enjoyed the episode for you the other week, which we dedicated to you. Um, mm. July, August is always that sort of inaccessy birthday time, isn't it? And I think we've got Timmy coming up soon in the next week or so. Yeah, 16. I think Andrew might have just had a birthday or has got one coming up. I think he might have had one a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yes, he um, And Kirk as well in July. So yeah. it's a bit of that, uh, maybe the Ferris, Ferris parents had a certain time of the year where <laughs> there wasn't much going on, you know. Uh, like, you know, yeah, you going, love? Do you want to go down to the pub tonight? Or why don't we stay in and watch a, watch a, uh, an old episode of MASH? Uh, <laughs> maybe Bonanza, no. Maybe the year it was Bonanza. I don't know. Anyway. No, I shall digress. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. Right, okay. I can't believe we're thinking about that. Stop well, it. Well, right. look. Okay. And it was Tiger's you, birthday too, don't forget. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, I think, as well. Yeah. So happy birthday, Tiger. Oh. Uh, also, too, did you get uh, to me? I'll just get, put this up on our site. Um, my, lo- well, not local paper, but the biggest selling newspaper in Australia is called the Herald Sun, and that's based out of Melbourne, where I'm based, myself. And they had a big article uh, in about three, four days ago on Suicide Blonde, the song, and a big interview with Andrew, and also spoke to Kylie Minogue uh, about it, because she was a bit of the inspiration behind the song. Mm-hmm. Did you get that little link I sent to you, B? Did you see it or open it, or you've just been too <laughs> busy to look at mine? You're looking guilty. What link? Okay. So, okay, we, the list, list is... Okay, if, if you Google... Look, you could probably do it easy. Google Suicide Blonde, Andrew Farris, Herald Sun. It okay. will The article will pop up. But I think it's a great article we could share with the listeners globally because it does highlight um, a real deep dive into that song, the inspiration behind it, um, the melody, you know, the songwriting, the production, um, the inspiration. Um, when I was reading this article, I thought it would be a th- two, three paragraphs, but it kept going. I kept opening and reading on my phone and it kept going and going and going. Yeah. I thought, oh, cool. cool. So it's really worth putting up there for some listeners and we will talk more about that song when we review X but um, yeah there's a great article there we we encourage you to look at and equally there's the um, uh, publication Mixed Down I talk about a lot in Australia which highlights music and they've just done a a list of the best 10 sort of documentaries about music from Australia ever and obviously Mystify gets a Guernsey in that so that's another article there Mm. um Cover bands, B. We talk. We've talked a lot about "Don't Change" in Australia, but I think for our American listeners out there uh, who do know of the NXS experience, yeah. uh, coincidentally, like Ash and Moon, they've also got a gig booked uh, at Daryl's house, that venue from Daryl Hall and from Hall yeah. of Notes, that hosts bands and things like that. Um, and that's on September 25 in uh, New York. Uh, so if you are in that vicinity and you want to see the NXS experience. They are playing at uh, Daryl's house, not literally his house uh, where he has his cookies and bread in the morning or, and coffee, but a, mm. a venue that's sort of as a moniker. It might even be on his farm or whatever there, but it's a place where a lot of bands go to play um, and it's a really good sort of venue and things like that as well. So I just felt like it'd be great to give them some acknowledgement because you've got a bit of a background knowledge of them a little bit, I think, the NXS experience. Yeah, funny enough, they popped up on my Instagram, I think. There was some yep. live um, sessions with them they sound great he sounds really good that singer yeah. um oh what's his name Corey massey 
the, yep, the guy. Yep. Yeah, 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 very, very, very good. And yeah. um, he's got that um, sort of like feline sort of prancing around the stage like <laughs> Michael had as well. Yeah, it's a that good, sort of slinky good. sort of look, huh? Yeah, he's got the slinky yeah. look going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I've, I might have seen a couple of podcasts him, and he sort of responded back. So you know, he's keeping the music alive. I think I, I saw the other day also through the socials. I think there's a, a cover band in England called Taste It. Uh, have you heard of them? No. Yeah. I'd like to hear about them. Yeah, so uh, there's a couple other ones that have popped up. There's one in New Zealand as well. Oh. Uh, a cover, an NXS band called Elegantly Wasted in New Zealand. Ooh. You heard about them? No. No, so right. maybe that we can get the research team to uh, yes. you know, get some uh, cross uh, conversations out back and forth. We can promote them. They can maybe highlight us and um, you know, keep spreading the gospel of all things inks yeah quite like to hear about the elegantly wasted um new, new zealand crew yeah i think actually i think they might have been in touch with me a while back thinking yeah. about it yeah yeah get on to it carrie ann absolutely <laughs> hey this is tim farris and you're listening to access all areas with hayden and b <laughs> And now for Topic of the Week. Topic of the week, B. This is probably our first real special feature artist showdown in excess versus you two. Although, for those out there, it's not like who's the better band, no. etc. There, it's it's really uh, comparisons and yeah, it's a comparison. Yeah. Um, I'll go on the record and uh, just say to everybody that Inexcess and U2 are my, uh, have been my two favourite bands. So um, for any Inexcess knockers out there from the U2 world who are coming onto this going, well, here we go, this is an Inexcess podcast trying to make it they're better no. than U2. Look, Inexcess is my favourite band, U2 is my second favourite band. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been times, you know, there was a little period of time where U2 was even better than Inexcess <gasps> for me in the Rail and Hummy era. Yeah, it sounds yeah, weird, but I was, I was probably seduced by the uh, touring at the time time and I was you know 17 or 18 but mm. uh, look over time I've obviously rated in excess first and you two second uh, was my favorites and um, th- their careers have, have, have well I guess they did develop from a, a similar trajectory and look ultimately over time the longevity of you two is something that um, is still there now um, uh, as, an, as, a, as a, a real entity that's still touring and recording and making vital music etc um, however you know their careers uh, crossed over in many ways in terms of the era that they were a part of the movement they were a part of um, you know the, the forum of how they got their music out uh, the years they recorded in was similar their, their ascent into America happened at similar times uh, and Michael and Mono became great, great friends. Uh, you know, less rivals. I mean, there was probably a rivalry there for a period, but Michael and Bono became really, really good friends. And I guess over over time, you know, we've heard a lot of you know really 
special acknowledgements from Bono towards Michael, be it him as, him as a singer, you know, in terms of quotes and in interviews and, and, and at concerts, you know, providing songs dedicated to Michael. And I just thought it'd be an interesting discussion for people because I think if you are an NXS fan, you probably are a U2 fan. And if you're a U2 fan, you probably are to some degree an NXS fan because unlike back in the era of the Beatles where we either Beatles or the Stones or you Oasis or Blur I don't think that existed in the NXS U2 era I think they, they coexisted internationally in many ways and both audiences you know fed off each other to some degree especially during the late 80s there yeah. um, maybe if over to you be being from the UK and probably not far from where U2 started I mean what was your um, you know U2 background I won't say what's your U2 week been like <laughs> what, what, what's your sort of U2 background for you yeah well U2 were um, before in excess for me because I was still at yeah. school when uh, they, they formed and we heard the um, the songs and I used to nick my um, songs from my cousins and I used to take the albums home and have to take them back again but I loved yeah, yeah I love them um, and I think there's an appreciation for both bands really more than anything like you say it's not it's there's no sides there's no taking sides with these um, for me I did feel that it was more of a band that um, a lot of men preferred more than because yeah. I don't know why but I just felt like that but I just felt when in excess came it was a bit lot more sexier than in mm. in u2 so there was a, a that difference there but i do well, i do see a lot of similarities and i can't wait for you to pinpoint them out for me as well so now you've yeah, done well, a huge amount of research on this haven't you yeah well i mean it, again it's it's not so much comparisons because you can't compare the beatles and the stones to in excess and u2 but but the stones are probably more of an in sort of uh, r&b sort of back backdrop mm. type band you had the front front man like Jagger and, and Michael had that uh, slinky lounge lizardy slash you know frontman type status yes. and you probably had you know Bono seriously speaking he was the singer that probably um, I mean they had, their, their background was pretty much from a, a real Christian uh, rootsy sort of you know uh, Irish upbringing and uh, they, they were I guess self-admittedly they were the sort of the um, the serious band the serious ones of the two well they're the more probably. activists weren't they they were yeah, quite political right. statements throughout a lot of their first songs um, yeah, in their yeah. first well, couple of d- albums just going back to sort of I guess some backdrop for, for maybe those who aren't as informed um, In Excess formed in 77 mm-hmm. uh, on the day that Elvis uh, passed away in Tim's 21st and U2 formed in 76 so if we look at that there's only sort of a, a year in between um, uh, Larry in U2 the drummer he put up a, a flyer I think in the sort of school notice board which um, got sort of responses uh, from some of the uh, other band members I think might be Bono etc there and they formed uh, you know from as really as a high school band uh, coming together and I guess you know through uh, In Excess we had Michael and, and um, Andrew meet each other at school yeah. and I think Tim and Kirk were friendly uh, so you know it's interesting they came from those you know that goal for a school kid growing up wanting to be in a band um, so they had those high school connections uh, they both both released debut albums, you know, essentially in 1980. I guess uh, had uh, local success in their markets, be it uh, in the UK and Ireland, and same with In Excess. Uh, they both uh, released, you know, a lot of discs between 81, 82, 83, and 84. Some years where they released albums together in the same year, some some years and a year apart. In Excess had their first hit, sort of in 82 in America, which was a top 30 hit. 
with the one thing. Uh, U2's first hit was really New Year's Day, although it only made around about 53, I think, uh, around sort of 83. I think they really both got their first big hits uh, in NXS's case was with What You Need, released in Australia in 85, went top five in America in 86. And U2 had their first sort of major top 40 hit with uh, Pride in the Name of Love, which I guess was on the 985 Unforgettable Fire album, although Pride got released at the end of 84, uh, or late 84. So there's some sort of symmetry in terms of when they sort of broke through uh, a similar time frame for their top 40 songs. Um, also, uh, in terms of their ascent, uh, they both played Live Aid, albeit slightly differently. Um, mm. U2 quite famously played, uh, I think, an 11-minute version of Bad live on stage and uh, uh, Bono went down to the audience and started hugging a, a fan in the front row although In Excess in those days did it from Sydney, Australia as a sort of a stream uh, mm. or a satellite hookup yeah. uh, of their songs for the uh, uh, Live Aid concert mm-hmm. which some bands did sort of from overseas um, and I guess from a competitive sort of point of view between probably 1987 to 1991 when it was probably the period where both bands experienced their competitive chart peaks uh, especially from a singles level uh, in America where you know if it wasn't one band with a top five hit or a number one hit or a top ten hit it was the other and we'll delve a bit uh, deeper into that um, and sort of gets me into sort of the ear I guess but I'm going to hand over to you in a sec I don't think they really were new wave bands in the sense I know in excess probably got added into that a little bit in sort of 81 82 but I think in excess you know through what they did on Shabu Shabar and and, and there thereafter proved they weren't sort of stuck in that new wave mm-hmm. movement and, and you two definitely weren't a new wave band mm-hmm. um, but there were a lot of bands around that time B I'll throw a few at you give me your thoughts on them there was okay. REM The Cure mm-hmm. Simple Minds Tears for Fears Duran Duran mm-hmm. New Order Depeche Mode Echo and the Bunnymen mm-hmm. um, I reckon some of those bands resonate with you being mm-hmm. a, a a brummy yeah and Joy Division were up there as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, Joy Division, New Order, I guess, morphed into the other, didn't they? Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, there was, a, there was quite a lot of them. They were all like pop royalty for a while, a lot of those people. And um, in excess, uh, well, mainly Michael really uh, took himself into that uh, little um, bosom, I would say. They were very similar, weren't they? They were very similar um, people, I would say. They were deep thinkers. They thought a lot about life. Who's that? Michael and Bono. I think they went about it slightly differently, though, that Michael, you know, he had this big outgoing gregariousness on stage being the front man, but mm. he's quite introspective and shy and uh, etc. there, whereas sort of Bono, uh, I think, on stage was less the extravagant front man and yeah. probably off stage was a little bit more expressive, especially in the latter years. Mm. Um, but um, I think they were part of just, you know, it's funny around that time you had In Excess, R-E-M, mm. U2. I mean, mm. a lot of these bands, it seemed like you had to put a bit of a play on words. Yeah. Um, or an acronym to sort of uh, have a band name. But um, I think around that time, you probably in the UK, you had a lot of publications like Melody Maker and NME that were quite significant, uh, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Did you get them over in Australia, those publications? We did, we did. Um, a lot of them hated you, t- uh, not you too. A lot of them loved you too and hated in excess. Um, yeah. And again, I, I, I'll wear my sort of slight rant on my sleeve here. But being Australian, unfortunately, and, and maybe you can sort of relate to this a bit, being a former English colony, um, anyone from Australia that has succeeded internationally in the last 225 years. <laughs> 
sometimes there are certain segments of the English uh, Fleet Street critical press always like to put us little Aussies down as ex-convicts. Yeah. Yes, you and both of them. Uh, <laughs> Melody Maker, NME. Some of those ones were quite patronising of, of any Australian artist uh, or sportsman or whatever came out of here. Mm. Um, and I think we spoke a few weeks ago on the Wembley episode. It was such a celebration that NXS got through that bad press in the UK to sort of climb the heap and sort of win them over eventually. Don't you agree? Absolutely, because um, I remember cutting out a little article which actually fell out into my lap um, last year of In Excess, and it was from Melody Maker, funny enough, and it actually said that they're all right for Auss- Aussies or something like that <laughs> in there. It was like, oh, right. Gee, but, but that's a bit begrudging. <laughs> yeah, all right for Aussies. yeah. If you look at the swing, which we talked about last week on that album, there's that sort of uh, Burn For You film clip that shows them sort of eventually getting to London. And, you know, you see, I think even in Dancing in the Jetty, you can see some of the film clip was shot in London and things. And they really were going over to start again a bit in the UK. It was always like for an Australian band, go to the UK, conquer that, then mm-hmm. go to America and then sort of Japan, Brazil and everyone else follows. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, from a sort of a trajectory point of view around that time, it's a, it was a great era of music. It was a great era of, of creativity. A lot of bands that sort of came around that era had some really, really timeless music. And I guess, you know, as I said earlier, you know, the ascent of both In Excess and U2, they, they had a similar pathway and yeah. a similar trajectory. You know, if I sort of go to elaborate for what I would say is probably their most sort of creative slash impactful time on the charts, I think respectfully for In Excess, probably 1982, to Shabu Shabar through to Welcome in 92 was that 10 year window where somewhere in the world they were breaking through mm. um, in 82 it was America with Shabu Shabar yeah. in 92 it was Welcome you know through Europe and England etc there yeah. you know between say 84 for say U2 were really making their mark in America with mm. the Unforgettable Fire yeah. um, Pride as I alluded to earlier was a top 40 hit I think it went 33 mm-hmm. um, but having some of those lyrics about Martin Luther King made such a sort of a yeah. statement and to be frank their creative period you know lasted long I mean they, they really had chart success and a quite a strong creative period through to 2009 probably over a 25 mm, year period mm. you know honestly speaking uh, up until the No Line on the Horizon album uh, so you know from that sort of point of view uh, in excess you know you know, didn't have the longevity of, of say U2 and, and I've talked about in previous episodes U2 had that second album lift you know mm. with, with Uktong being you know that album that gave them that sort of almost new birth that new career that new fan base plus taking the old fans yeah, with them yeah. it's always hard for a band go creative and bring the old fans with them uh, and acquire new fans it's a really difficult task a bit like you're saying okay I want to change mm. uh, come change with me and then also attract new people who who, who welcome that new sound mm-hmm. uh, and they're able to do that and look Without sounding sort of arrogant, I think, you know, NXS's Welcome album did that in the UK and Europe, and I think, unfortunately, in America, it didn't sort of translate as large. Maybe that was the record company uh, at that stage and not touring and things like that. If NXS had have had that breakthrough with Welcome, I think a lot of things in their career, especially in America, et cetera, there would have extended their career furtherly, yeah. um, which I always think is a bit unfair that they didn't get that, that second album lift, mm. um, which, you know, you too 
and the Chili Peppers and Green Day and some of those bands got. They got that second yeah. that found new fans and took the old ones with them. Yeah, yeah. So sad that that didn't happen. And now we know that Michael had the accident as well. Correct. Well, I thought what we'd sort of start to shift into a little bit in this part one is just just uh, the crossover of, of, of the band together and, and how they maybe in some ways influenced each other. Mm. You know, thinking back to this era, there was no internet in these days. There was no social media. It wasn't very known to me in Australia that Michael and Bono were that friendly with each other. You know, you'd have to see an article at the right time, picking up the right publication to find something like that. And I guess over the years, and you've, you've actually displayed this, I think, on the promo for this episode, there's a great photo of Bono and Michael hugging. Bono looks like he's had about 64 beers. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's not a lot of material out there, but there is some things out there where you see them together. Um, one of the more vivid ones was uh, Michael turning up backstage at the 1989 Rattle and Hum tour in Sydney, sharing, I think, a Crown Lager backstage with Bono. And think about 1989, it was around October. I, I saw them in Melbourne that year. In excess, uh, you know, at the top of the world as, a, as, as probably the band of 88, 89, uh, U2 sort of 87, early 88. Um, but they really both were, you know, number one and two, I guess, interchangeably mm-hmm. um, in terms of sales, albums, uh, chart success, critical acclaim uh, and there's a great photo of Michael as I said backstage there I think uh, Bono's got a, a cowboy hat on uh, etc um, there's a great photo in 95 I think where you see Michael the Edge and uh, Bono at the south of France mm-hmm. there um, I think over at one of each other's houses yeah. Uh, there's a great um, video sort of Vox Pop backstage at the 96 Music Awards just before that silly git uh, Noel went on a bit of a rant about has-beens but they go backstage and you do see Larry and Michael sitting sort of out in the green room area together Mm -hmm. having a beer Mm -hmm. as one of the interviewers comes past so there's not a huge amount of sort of footage of them together at many stages because it wasn't paparazzi area or huge social media sort of stuff but um, I guess you know they did spend quite a lot of time together sort of socially and, and seemed to be great great pals yeah, during that sort of late also, 80s early 90s there was also one it was that they were teasing the um paparazzi pa- paparazzi you can't even say that word they were teasing about you didn't get it out oh jeez um and um they i think it was bono was down on one knee and listening to helena's tummy as if she was pregnant have you seen that? <laughs> uh, I think so, yeah, yeah. Um, That's quite funny. But, um you know, from an influence sort of point of view, etc. There, let's just sort of from a, a breakdown sort of point of view. Like, I'm going to look at a few things where, you know, from an excess point of view, I, I've sensed that what they were doing and, and who they were using and what they were going about in terms of their their career, you know, uh, through through friendships and through associations, you know, influences sort of come. So at the start of this particular episode, we did couple up the Need You Tonight sort of intro for the topic uh, with Mysterious Ways. And I think if you listen to a song like Wishing Well or, you know, some of the, the, the funky sounds of sort of uh, Mysterious Ways, uh, Chris Thomas himself, uh, the producer of uh, Listen Like Thieves, uh, Kick and X, and who did a bit of uh, production work, I think, on, a, on the Atomic Bomb album for U2, has often said Mysterious Ways in 91 sounds very much influenced... Uh, like an in excess song around that time to think from 1987 to 1991 U2 would have a film clip with a belly dancer in it mm-hmm. was was probably very very unlikely <laughs> I think The Edge went on to marry that belly dancer by the way <laughs> um, but uh 
I think it was one of Bono's great fears. He 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 often said, "Look, it was always my fear in the ladies late eighties is that, you know, going into a nightclub or a disco, or whatever there or a dance setup is that you would never ever hear a U two song being played." And um, um, that was pretty true because their their music, you know, especially through the Joshua Tree and, and Unforgettable Fire, was was very earnest and serious, and it was sort of music for the head, maybe and for the heart, but maybe not for the feet. You know, in excess, we always had that dance thing going on from 1982 really uh, where they always had remixes being done etc different stages and uh, used people like Baseman Jacks before they were really Baseman Jacks they used people like Apollo Paul Oakenfield um, so many different producers out there do a lot of remix and dance stuff and I think that definitely was something that Bono wanted to have a bit of a part yeah. of and you saw their career diverge into some of that dance orientated stuff do you know what I mean mm-hmm. yeah very much um, so I think Bono, I think I think you too. It's interesting. They're, they're fantastic, but they've always been a little bit insecure sometimes, and not always trusting their first instincts. And what I mean by that is that their albums have always taken a long time. Scrapped albums with people like Rick Rubin and and Chris Thomas, and started again. And they've always sometimes even overcooked the goose on some recordings. Whereas In Excess have always been with their recordings, recorded sometimes albums in four to six to eight weeks, and just gone with their instincts yeah. and maybe gone in with more material, mm-hmm. you know, and gone in to record things that were more demoed out or whatever. But, um, you know, I think uh, along the way, a few other areas that I know... um uh, Bono was influenced was through Nick Cave who was a great friend of, uh, of Michael mm-hmm. um, if you see you two play live you'll often hear uh, Bono do a bit of a, uh, a sound grab of in, Into My Arms mm-hmm. by um, uh, Nick Cave uh, as a lyric he'll do that you won't know of this band but you might know the person B have you heard of Echo Homo I do know who that is oh bless Troy Troy Davies yeah, yeah. so for those those that don't know Troy Davies Dogs unfortunately has passed away but yeah. Troy's a guy yeah Troy's a guy who's often in a lot of the NXS film clips <laughs> or a lot of the backstage Doing stuff the and uh, yeah and look you, in Listen Like Thieves he's the guy at the end who does the spit which is a bit uncouth but Troy put together sort of a side project called Echo Homo in about 88 and there was a song called uh, well, actually early 89 there was a song called Motorcycle Baby that um, <laughs> Michael and John are in um, but he had another song come out as well called New York New York and, and I'm going to get some of this stuff through to you oh, but um, this one Bono sings backup vocals on that. Yeah. So the song called New York, New York, and Bono, I think, and you two are in the film clip or singing backup vocals on that. Oh. And, and that's a relationship from uh, through Michael and Troy and, and, and Richard that sort of, I guess, uh, through uh, mutual association that you two got involved with, which then ultimately led to Richard Lowenstein getting involved in all the Rattle and Hum film clips for you two. So oh. if you look at something like Desire, yes. uh, you look at Angel of Harlem, uh, when Love Comes to Town with B.B. King, they're all they're all Richard Lowenstein film clips. Great. And having uh, won videos of the year and doing fantastic with that at the 88 MTV Awards, well, you know, it was only four months later that suddenly Richard's doing some U2 stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think respectfully for U2 fans out there who, uh, you know, who maybe diss on NXS, well, you know, you wouldn't have those clips if it wasn't uh, the respect that probably uh, Bono and the band had for the creativity of those people in the in excess machine that were behind the scenes. New York, New York. 
David Mallett, uh, who recorded sort of and put the production together along with Mark Opitz for uh, Wembley, was July 1991. Well, it's interesting that you too in the Sydney sort of uh, Zoo TV tour uh, was the same guy that was brought in to film that. Um, so, uh, which was November 1993. Um, so, um, no doubt uh, the NXS camp uh, who put all that together probably inspired you too in a sense to use the production techniques of Wembley, the aerial shots, a lot of the stuff there as, you know, big massive concerts were becoming uh, more familiar to the public for the Zoo TV show. And you can sort of see it. I remember watching it going, oh, well, it's filmed a bit similar to uh, the NXS one. I only noticed it a few years ago that it was the same sort of director. So um, I I, uh, I think, you know, there are some parallels there Mm. where, you know, when you hang out with successful people, you you adopt each other's ideas. Um, uh, And I think... (laughs) Uh, also Bono in sort of lightening up a little bit becoming a little bit more of a personality probably was no doubt by hanging out with Michael who was mm-hmm. quite affable and jovial and you know was serious but didn't take sort of life seriously as probably as much as probably Bono did um, I remember Bono in a famous interview once said I think people think there's a lot of you know maudlin or whatever in, in you too but there is a lot of laughs and mm-hmm. part of that sort of uh, second phase of their career with Tak Tong Baby they sort of you know took off the you know I guess the uh uh, or took out, took put the Bible away, and and brought out their uh, dancing shoes and their, their their personalities. I reckon from Aktong onwards. What do you reckon, Bea? Yeah, I do, I do. They lightened up quite a lot, didn't they? They were very serious the first yeah. couple of albums. <laughs> like I said, they had yeah, that sort absolutely. of male um, influence about them. They were just I didn't get them until after that, and they lightened up and was like, yeah. Now well, a bit more I, I think you're right. Like I remember, yeah, my my introduction to you too initially was the Under a Blood Red Sky album, like. I knew Gloria as a song in 81 and, mm. and a few other things. Um, but the Under the Blood sort of Red Sky was quite popular in Australia. And the t- I remember having it on tape and it was, it was sort of a, almost a greatest hits live album. Um, and it was a great sort of entree into the band. And I remember playing it and my sister hated it. You know, she said, oh, you turn they're boring. But they, they weren't sort of, didn't have the female audience that probably NXS had. Um, I, I think, you know, Bono through the, the live stuff and, and production and through the various characters and through that second phase of the career probably opened up a, a, that wider audience by appealing to the sort of the dance scene appealing to sort of the, the female crowds a little bit more that that definitely probably through his own development but I, I guess you know he was quite in awe of Michael's sort of rock star god type mm. sort of uh, thing like him and Simon Le Bon used to always look at Michael man he is the rock star yeah. <laughs> so um, never seen Bono move with his legs in the air until I'd seen him on the Zoo TV tour and things you know doing the kick mm. in the air and that yeah, yeah. Um, now 
On the other hand, uh, let's look at it from a, a U2 point of view. Um, as an InXS fan, I, I, I can undoubtedly say that U2 had a, 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 an equal influence on, on InXS's career to some sort of degree. We'll put a little bit of a, a clip in a moment, but uh, if you listen to the song Gloria, uh, especially live, there is a build-up to it which is very similar to the Sonics on uh, Freedom Deep off one of InXS's oh. latter albums. So we'll put a little clip in in a moment um, and you'll be able to hear sort of the, the percussive similarity. Um, also on Heaven Sent from InXS, uh, it has definite um, you know, percussion uh, similarities to I Will Follow. Um, very, very similar. It's not a lift, but it definitely has parallels there. I think back to uh, Welcome to Wherever You Are, which came out in August 92, nine months after Actong. Um, I think NXS looked at their career and said, well, you two have really broadened their sound and really gone out on a limb here, seeing sort of where, where we could take this thing. You know, it was sort of chapter two for them, for, for you two. And Bono famously said in New Year's Eve in Dublin, 89, live at a concert, said, you know, we're going to go away and dream it all up again. And which they did. Um, I think for In Excess, the Welcome album, when you, we break down all the tracks and the sonics and the experimentation, uh, you know, really was the, probably Michael being quite inspired by Actong Baby and saying, well, you know, why do you have to, you know, reproduce a, you know, kick part three? type of recording you can really go away and come up with something unique and diverse mm. and mm. Um, I think uh, you know they did that and probably saw U2's sort of reinvention I guess of sound being a, a, a permission slip for them in excess that is to go away and, and do that I think you know and some of those sonics you know and some of the, the versatility of sound you know you can sort of hear a little bit later on some of the reach that, that in excess went to and you know some people in America you know who go oh well after X you know that was it for in excess well, no, Welcome and, and Full Moon really were out on a limb, those two yeah. albums, in terms of trying stuff and creative stuff. And um, I think uh, you two were able to sell that creative side probably better. I think the record companies behind them were much uh, more um, uh, able to resell you two, part two, if you know what yeah. I mean. Um, but there was definitely a, a carryover there. Um, Okay, well, let's just have a little listen to Freedom Deep versus um, Gloria and U2's I Will Follow and In Excess's Heaven Sent. Let's have a little listen. just probably got a little bit more serious about their art the longer they went. Uh, Bono and U2 were quite sometimes accused of being a little bit precious and a little bit uh, you know, too serious about their, their art. Um, uh, I think you know, In Excess were more particular the longer they went in the recording studio and, and, and fussier about the time and efforts and uh, input that went into recording an album especially when we compare it back to the early days when they'd play a gig till 11 at night and they'd go and record a song overnight and <laughs> they'd go, okay, cool. Well, the way we 
go, you know, like yeah, some of their yeah. albums record in four weeks, you know. So mm. um, I think that, uh, you know, you, uh, in excess, particularly when they didn't tour the Welcome album, they really wanted to get in and mm. do that and do another album and put a bit of time and studio emphasis on that part of their career. They felt that they hadn't recorded enough, they toured a lot, and they wanted to have a, a greater body of work out there, um, which, you know, we think back to you too with Uktong Baby. It wasn't long after Zeropa came out and, you know, they sort of had it, that Coda album, you know, with Uktong, you know, within 18 months. And um, so, yeah, I think there's, there's, there's just time frames. Being a fan of both, I could sort of see where they traded off a little bit. Yeah. You know, sure, you know, you two have probably hit the stratosphere of, uh, of success on a greater level. But, you know, I don't think NXS should all be ashamed or should all be uh, uh, reluctant to be highlighted in the same sort of breath because often it's the peers. You know, I think back to Michael Stipe recently and those quotes we talked about, about, um, you know, loving NXS and what they did and how they went about it and how they influenced Strange Currencies off the uh, um, Monster album for R.E.M., you know, Bono, um, as we will talk about uh, next week, uh, has constantly cited Michael and the influence and, and things mm. like that as well. Mm. Um, so I think it, it's, it's it's exciting that to all listeners out there, you can love both. Absolutely. <laughs> um, <Yes>. <laughs> you don't have to pick one or the other. And there have been times in my life where I'm in a bit of a U2 mood or I'm in an NXS mood. But I'm just so glad that I was part of an era where they both coexisted and, yeah. and grew together and, and, and found fame you know, mm. and success together. I'm having to compose myself because there's a lot of uh, tears in my eyes as uh, after that track. So that track um, was um, Bono singing All I Want Is You and then he interwove um, the beautiful um, They Can Never Tear Us Apart and that was actually sung a few days after Michael had passed away and it's just said so passionately. It just brings tears to my eyes listening to it again and um, Hayden you're bringing tears to my eye with all your passion towards the love for in excess and you too you have so much to say I just let I've just let you go with it I'm just looking at you watching <laughs> you going I want to say some stuff but man you've got a lot to say about this subject I think we're gonna have a part two are well, we not on this 
Well, you are a very generous co-host for letting me indulge sort of my passion today in this particular topic. So if I have sort of uh, ruled the roost a bit, it's not to uh, ignore your contribution, but it was probably an area of something that I felt, you know, wanted to share and talk about. And, um, you know, we're going to talk a little bit more next week because there's some some really cool uh, extra stuff that we just don't have time to fit in today. So we've got, you know, some chart stuff, some little track stuff here and there, and some more discussion about the two bands together because, um, mm-hmm. yeah, we couldn't quite sort of, you know, uh, confine it into 40 minutes uh, as a discussion piece. But, yeah, that one in... Um, in Mexico, you know, it blew me away at the time. Mm. I remember hearing about or reading about and ended up buying the DVD and, yeah, it tingles up your spine. And yeah. I think it just goes to show just the respect that, you respect. know, Bono had for Michael and, mm. and Michael for him and the friendship they had. And, um, yeah, yeah, it speaks for itself. And so, you felt um, his loss as well. You yeah. really felt it, All right, pleasure and pain, B. Uh, a little bit of a different format this week. We look, we're in the sweet spot, aren't we? Of 84, 85, 86, around that mid-80s where a lot of music was very creative at the time and we both got a list of plenty of faves and plenty of uh, dirges that we don't like. Um, So what we thought we would do is do a little bit of a montage uh, week to week. So uh, B's been very kind and let me get the new ball today. Uh, So I'm going to be doing my little bit of a montage of six, seven songs of 1985 that I thought were really cool. And we're also going to back it up uh, after some comments on those with another list of six or seven songs that were complete crap that still sometimes get a bit of a airplay here and there or a better left uh, buried where they uh, have once come from. So uh, we'll take it away with the good B okay. uh, and the montage of good. Very excited about this. Here we go.
Oh, what a montage that was. And starting off with Hole of the Moon by the Water Boys. I thought I was the only person in the whole world that loved that um, that song. In fact, that album I played to death. I had yeah. it on a little tape and on my um, Sony Walkman and I would play <laughs> it to college and back. And oh, God, I just loved it. Absolutely yeah. adore it. And it just stands the test of time, doesn't it? It's just a great a song is a great song. Mm. Uh, and and the, the, the music in that I love I love when the cannons go off in the loop and the yeah. you know singing like a cannon <laughs> yeah it's a real anthem and um, you know last November you too had that as a sort of not not such a warm up song of theirs but a, a warm up song for the crowd mm. sort of in between uh, Noel Gallagher going off and then you two coming on this was one of those sort of pre songs that was yeah. sort of getting the whole crowd going so yeah, uh, yeah I'm glad you like it yeah, um, Godly and Cream we had Cry there mm. uh, now, for those that don't know, Godly and Cream, those guys were quite famous as, as film, as, as video directors, but also they were in uh, 10CC uh, prior to that. So uh, that Cry film clip uh, was quite innovative um, with all the, you know, technical sort of facial changes yeah. that inspired uh, Michael Jackson's Michael uh, black Jackson. and white video. Yes, it did. It didn't. Yeah. I, I, I'm not that keen on that song, I must admit, but I do appreciate good artistic um, creativeness. Yeah. <laughs> But All right, well, let, me, let me throw a couple at you there. Head right. over heels, tears for fears. You like that? I do, I do. That's yeah. another classic, isn't it? You can never get yeah. past that one. And um, yeah, and Prince. Oh, Raspberry um, Beret. Yep, still sounds fresh uh, and great today. I think that's one of my favourite all-time Prince songs. Yeah. Actually, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. thing, and Howard Jones. Oh, I loved Howard Jones. Oh, well, what well, happened to well, Howard Jones? Yeah. I don't think he's got as much hair these days as he used to hot. back then. But Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, last one was a bit of a, well, semi-one-hit one. I think they had a couple of hits. It was uh, Obsession that I think Kylie might have covered uh, in the last sort of uh, few years. It was more of a dance track. Um, mm. So, yeah, that were my that were my good. Um, and I am very excited about your ones for next week yeah. because Can't you've got wait. a few different eclectic sort I of tastes. I do, I do. But let's yeah. get on to your montage of oh. bad. Okay, take it away.
Well, I'm uh, I'm actually liking that song now. You're my inspiration. Hayden, you're inspiring me this this episode. Oh, I'm I'm completely annoying you, aren't I? <laughs> How many times have I called you in to redo so this? Con- bit? <laughs> so I'm, I'm getting confused. You're inspired by me or the cheesy saccharine lyrics and vocals of Peter Satira from you, uh, Chicago? Mate. Only you, only you. You're inspiring okay. me. Well, <laughs> have you seen these film clips when Peter Cetera from Chicago sings and the cameras and the, the look in his eyes? Even the Karate Kid song. I mean, it's honestly mm. cheese. I don't. It's a cheese factory in, yeah. in, in Holland, okay? No. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. Yes, okay. Well, I'm, I'm, I am with you there. I've never really liked any of those sort of um, groups, I must admit. <laughs> but um, we have something special to tell everybody, don't we? We've got something up our sleeve. We're going to pull out. Pull it. All right. Well, look, just a quick little teaser to next week. We, we are going to be announcing something next week at the start of uh, episode 15, but a little bit of a teaser. Uh, we There is going to be some extra special content going out to sort of VIP listeners, mm-hmm. uh, maybe some early access to uh, some of the podcasts 24 hours ahead, uh, which will be pretty cool. Um, there's going to be some Zoom invites in coming up for some special band members on. You might get some of your questions front of you. Um, there's a whole little sort of package of little extra content things or participation things we're going to be putting out to some of our listeners. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a bribe. There will be something coming back our way, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we would like to reward those who <laughs> those who uh, are extra sort of committed to what we're doing. So, mm. um, yeah, we will off the get-go next week, give we'll a, a bit of a, a breakdown of that. Yep. And um, we love everybody out there. Yeah, so we're just teasing you at this point, but next week we'll let you know exactly what we're up to hmm. okay I guess that's a bit of a wrap, uh, although uh, part one of our NXS U2 special uh, will finish next week with the sequel of part two, so definitely got some interesting uh, content to sort of elaborate on that, but it was a lot of fun going through it with you today, B. Yeah, lots of fun. I le- learnt loads. Thank you very much again, Mr. Murdoch. Yeah, now we are due very soon, and it's going to be probably in two weeks' time for another Zoom call, uh, mm. and that's going to involve picking another six or eight uh, Uber fans or people who are really yeah. contributing to the fan engagement to get on a bit of a hookup like we did uh, about a month ago. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a lot of success, 
and uh, we will aim to get that set up and you know promote that a little bit through our, our platforms. Um, yeah. I guess B for you know any fan engagements, anything you want to share with the listeners. Um, I know you're always uh, working on adding things and we might have joined another platform this week is that yes, right we, yes yes just of yesterday um i got us on to um tune in which is like a radio uh, did you ever use that when it I, look i've had out? it for years tune, tune yeah. in radio i've had it on my phone for ages because weirdly enough when a radio station sometimes cuts out yeah. you go into tune in radio and it and it's crystal yeah it's fine like brilliant yeah it's it's a really good backup um and mm. again Again, more platforms the better I guess yeah and I love listening to radio too um, back in England so I can listen to that on the on the on, the, on that um, platform and we're on it now so awesome so um, we're on um, iTunes we're on TuneIn we're on um, Spotify we're on Apple Play Podbean Podbean yes yeah. Podbean um, <laughs> you can get us through oh, I think you can get us through most things now. There's a few yeah. more things that I'm going to get sorted that I've just noticed. Yeah. I think I think quite like monthly at the moment because podcasting is getting so um, big, there are lots of different platforms to find yeah. us on. But I'm so glad you're all here and finding us. But to engage with us, if you can come onto our Facebook page, that is the place to come really. So yeah. on, into the um, In Excess Access All Areas page. Um, we'd love to have a little chat there. Uh, we've also got Instagram. If you want to see um, the photos that I put up, which is quite fun and um, yeah and just share share with everyone share with your hairdresser share with your mates share with your mom absolutely um, and I think look there's a uh, we'll post uh, the Herald Sun article on Suicide mm. Blonde we'll be trying to do our attempts to put some things up um, especially in the first 48 hours after the episode sort of goes live we do really get a bit of a bombardment of, of replies yeah. and, and we love it um, uh, I know probably B's quicker on the retort uh, than I am uh, in terms of replying but I do generally get to them throughout the week and um, it's really good you know what what the albums mean to you you know we, we we love the story behind it in fact it's it's much more interesting um, uh, hearing your personal story about an album or a song or whatever than going oh great podcast as much as the compliments we love what we really get a bit of a, a kick out of pardon the pun is just hearing what a song or an album or an artist or you know a, a time in the band uh, has done for you and connects with you they're the things that you know really resonate with us so keep sharing your experiences yeah, there keep sharing and I've been promised a big big box of goodies of merchandise <laughs> yeah so we'll be having look a big party scene <laughs> of competitions yeah. so so be knows somebody who knows the band whose initials are tf <laughs> and uh what that ultimately means is that he's got access to some of the band's merchandise that may be coming our way off the back of a truck Woo-hoo! is that right b <laughs> yeah yeah i might have okay. to sift through it first myself <laughs> We've got, to, we've got to get these competitions going. We can't keep talking about it. We've got to get something going yeah. soon. What do you reckon? Yeah, it's going to happen okay. soon. It's going to happen. I think I think we're going to be probably looking October. So, um, okay. yeah. October? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't think I'm going to get it before September. I've actually got to go and um, get okay. it. Okay. We'll have something in two weeks, everybody. <laughs> we'll work I'll on it. I'll sell Hayden. We could, we, could, uh, yeah. Yeah. we could auction you off. 
and it's interesting. I had one just just digressing a little bit. One one uh, responded this week, which had sort of predicted something that was in my mind. Is that uh, we may, you know, I'm not saying we're going to do it immediately, but we may have a little section about collectibles. Mm. You know, is there an album or a single or a CD or something rare that you've got that's hard to get? Because um, uh, I know there are some fans out there who would love to be able to share, you know, some of their uh, contacts in those areas between you know, having two, three copies of something and being able to share some of that merchandise or trade amidst each other. So um, that may be something we will look to add into the podcast in sort of future future mm-hmm. weeks. Um um, I guess in closing out today, um, we're not going to do a cover. I think when we do something quite special or unique, uh, you know, honouring sort of an artist or a, a bit more of a special feature like today, which is in excess in U2, I couldn't think of a, a, a better way of going out today than going out with the tribute song uh, that I guess Michael, uh, well, Bono sort of completed the lyric on, but Michael had the music and sort of half the lyrics written. Um, and that slide away from Michael's, uh, I won't say debut album, because I think Max Q was essentially his debut album. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, sorry, Ollie, but, you know, it was probably uh, uh, Michael's sort of first. But, you know, from the self-tied or posthumous release, the last song on the album, Slide Away, uh, it was a beautiful song, um, uh, a, a great lyric, a great um, ballad. Uh, should have been a hit. Uh, we will talk more about this song in future yeah. episodes. I'm sure it'll be a rant. Um, but on a more sort of touching level, I think this song um, uh, really does sort of captivate and, you know, um, uh, really pulls at the heartstrings when you hear it because it was posthumously released and I just would have loved for this song to had have had a lifespan to it when Michael was around because uh, it is such a, a great song uh, and uh, you know we would like to play the whole thing as a as a, a tribute to Bono uh, you know in supporting Michael after the album you know needed mm-hmm. finishing and uh, a tribute to Michael for coming up with such a, a beautiful song and lyric that unfortunately you know yeah. resonates more given yeah, what happened to him sense. so um, uh, I'll say it's a goodbye from me it's a goodbye from B bye everyone take it away